first of all, it's not sacrificial. I love you all. It is my pleasure, my honor, and my privilege to be one of the pastors at The Promise this morning. So, first of all, welcome to everybody who's here and to our family online. Our family, as Pastor Brian said, is growing, and we are now impacting people all over the world, and we consider you part of our family, part of The Promise tribe. And uh, last day of... 2023, right? So happy new year to everybody. Um, this is the best place to see the new year in, in the church, right where the Spirit of God is, correct? All right. And then first of all, or not first of all, before I move on, I, I don't do Facebook. Pastor Andrew doesn't do Facebook. And so this is my opportunity because I got to get the mic this morning to thank you all for our Christmas blessing Thank you to every single one of you. We are touched. We were so humbled with the love and the affection. We love you all very dearly. Thank you so very much. All right. Well, I never, ever stand up at this pulpit without being honored and without um, feeling the need to thank Pastor Cindy for the honor of standing here. And so, Pastor Cindy, thank you for the honor and the trust that you've given to me today, allowing me to stand here, to stand here and to minister in your place. So, um, the title of my message today is, What Foundation Are You Building On? Because we're all building on one or other kind of foundation. And we're going to look at which foundations are secure, which foundations we can build on knowing that our house is going to stand. And there are some foundations that the enemy will have an easy time washing away. Has anybody here written down their New Year's resolutions? Three of you? Wow. <laughs> okay, so this time of the year, almost all of us take the opportunity, even if we don't diligently write them down, to look back at our lives and say, you know what, I've got to take care of my health. I have to take care of this. I have to make some health decisions. And we have a New Year's resolution to eat better, do more exercise. Or we think to ourselves, you know what? I've been spending far too much. I have to take control of my finances. I am determined one of my New Year's resolutions is to be debt-free. But all of those are great. They're good. And writing them down is better than just thinking about them. However... I have the sense that if we're going to thrive and not merely survive in 2024, that we're going to have to do more than just have good intentions. We're going to have to have more than just the willpower to do better next year. All of us can move forward. All of us can do better than we did in 2023. Do I have an amen? Amen. All of us, right? So if, if we're going to thrive, we're going to have to do something better than we've done in the past. I also have a sense, a very real sense, that 2023 is not, or 2024 is not going to open the door to, or should I say it this way, is not going to close the door to the attacks the enemy has been using in 2023. Need I say anything more than it's election year? 
They're trying to throw the main candidate in prison. They're trying to um, impeach the other candidates. There's a lot going on. And that's just in the, in the broad spectrum of our nation. And if he's functioning there with such liberty, what's he doing in our lives? Anybody else here had a few attacks this year? <laughs> All right. So if we're going to succeed in 2024... I know because Jesus told us that we're going to have to put the word first place. It's going to have to be our primary, most important priority of every single day. If you are not putting the word into you every single day, you are not building a foundation that can withstand the storms. It's wonderful to spend time praying. It's wonderful to sit, sit still in his presence. But it's the word that will put you over. It is the word of God that will put you over. And I don't just mean read the word. I mean you better commit to doing every single thing you read. Every single thing you read. Because the storms and the shaking are not over. Jesus told us in John chapter 16 that in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say you may have trouble. He said you will have trouble. Categorically stated, trouble and storms are coming. And then he said, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. That means he made a way for us to overcome. He made a way for us to overcome. And we are going to look today in that famous parable of the man who built his house on the rock and the other man who built his house on the sand. And we're going to see how Jesus equipped us so that we could be overcomers. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, would you open them up to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read from verse 24. I'm reading from the Amplified Classic. I'm a lady. I like lots of words. All right, verse 24. So everyone who hears these words, and I'm going to read it all the way through, and then we're going to go back and kind of pick it apart. So everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, obeying them, will be like a sensible, prudent, practical, wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a stupid, foolish man who, builds, who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great and complete was the fall of it. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished and overwhelmed with bewildered wonder at his teaching. For he was teaching as one who had and was authority, and not as did the scribes. In other words, Jesus knew what he was talking about. He spoke with authority. He knew what he was talking about. Let's dig into this parable. We're going to take it line by line. Verse 24. So everyone who hears these words of mine, this person in this, remember, this is the wise man. 
and we're going to contrast him with a foolish man in a little while. This person heard the word. He leaned in. He paid attention to the word. Can I ask you, what happens when you hear the word? Come on, I have Bible school students in here. Faith comes. Faith comes. What does faith do when faith has come? It acts. Look at you. So this man leaned in. He heard the word. Faith came, which enabled him to act. And he acted, I'm continuing to read, and acts upon them. The man heard the word. Faith came, and he acts upon them, obeying them, will be like a sensible, prudent, practical, wise man. So now we have an, we've established that this man hears the word well enough for faith to come and for him to act on the word. And then Jesus said, he's a wise man. Anybody else here hunger to be wise? Absolutely. Well, to find out what wisdom was, I went to the wisest man who ever lived. I went to the book of Proverbs. And Solomon says that the beginning of wisdom. So in other words, you can't even start. You can't even say I have any notion of wisdom until you do this one thing. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. So until you are fearing the Lord, that doesn't mean as you would fear the enemy, but reverential awe, where you know that this is the God of the universe. What would fear of the Lord make you do? Obey his words. I wouldn't look at my God in reverential fear and awe and dare to disobey. So a wise man hears the word, faith comes, and he obeys. So let's see what this wise man does. He built his house upon the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Was this a wise man? Did he have faith? Had he obeyed the word? What happened? The storms came. Just because he was wise, just because he built his house on the rock, just because he had faith, just because he obeyed, did not preclude the storms from coming his way. It didn't exempt him from the storms. So when a storm comes, don't stand and say, oh God, what have I done wrong? The storm came to the wise man who was doing the word of God. And notice too, was not just the rain. It was the rain and the flood. It wasn't just the rain and the flood. It was the rain and the flood and the wind. Three kinds of storms came all at the same time. And what happened to that house? Yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. What was the rock? Aha, no. What the rock is here is the man who heard and did the word. It's not Jesus and it's not the word because as we're going to see, the second man who built his house on the sand, 
he heard the word too. He had the same opportunities. So now let's see. Jesus is going to contrast the wicked, the, sorry, the wise man and the foolish man. And everyone who hears these words of mine, does this foolish man, and we know that who he's going to be talking about, did he have the opportunity to hear the word? Yes, he heard the word. Did he act on the word? No, we know he didn't. Both men had the opportunity to hear the word. For faith to come. But I propose to you that this man let the word come in one ear and out the other. Luke tells us that we need to pay attention how we hear. If you're a careless listener, if you're a careless listener and hearer of the word, faith will not come. And if faith doesn't come, you will not act on the word. It's as simple as that. When we act on the word, it's because we have faith, because we've allowed that word to come, because we've paid attention to the word. So, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a stupid, foolish man. Jesus doesn't mince words. He says, you heard my word? You didn't do them? You stupid and you're foolish. I don't want Jesus to be pointing a finger to me and say, you are stupid and you are foolish. This man had no wisdom. He didn't fear the Lord. He thought his plan was better. What do you mean I have to bring my tithe? I can barely make ends meet. What do you mean I have to sow in famine? That's just stupid. What do you mean I have to act as if I'm already healed? I'm not. I'm in pain. This man thought his way was better. He thought his way was better. And what was the result? So he was a stupid, foolish man who built his house upon the sand, not the rock. Remember, the rock in this parable is not Jesus. They both heard the word. The word came to both of them. One man did the word and the other one didn't. That is the only difference between these two men. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. The same storm on the same three fronts. And what happened to his house? And it fell. And great and complete was the fall of it. Notice that the fall was complete. It wasn't just one wall that got washed away. In other words, there was absolute destruction. Now, there's no indication in this parable of how long the storms lasted. Often when I've read this parable, I've thought, this is like one of those San Diego storms that come at you know, in the middle of January, there's just sheets of rain that fall and you drive through the neighborhood and there's tree branches and debris everywhere and we hear about streets that were flooded and I'm like, okay, so this is what this was like. Maybe a day, maybe two. But a flood of this proportion doesn't come after one or two days of rain. It doesn't come after just a little bit of rain. So I think that this rain... This storm was a long, sustained storm. 
that the wind and the rain and the floods kept coming, kept coming until they had washed the foundation away. They continued until the foundation was washed away. Let me remind you today that Satan's ambition with the storms that he brings in your life are to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And one of his most favorite times to attack is when you're vulnerable, when you're tired, when you're sick, when you're emotionally worn down, or when you're spiritually depleted. That's when he likes to come. You see, he brought the rain, and you had to fight the sickness. But let me bring the wind, too. Why not let me mess with your finances? And how about the floods? Let's mess with your relationships as well. Let's just do it all at the same time. When we are emotionally exhausted and spiritually depleted is his favorite time. Now, those storms in general are designed to do two things. Number one, they, get, they are designed to get you to doubt God. If you doubt God, if he can get you to doubt God, he'll get you to doubt his word. Because God and his word are one. And if you doubt his word, you will not do it. You will not doubt a word that you don't trust. And if you don't do the word, he's going to wash away your house. It's as simple as that. You know, one of the, the things about the word is Satan doesn't care how much you know. He doesn't care if you quote the entire New Testament to him. Do you know that? He only cares what you do. He only cares what you do. You can quote about bringing the tithe into the storehouse, but until you bring it, you have made no dents. You haven't impacted him in any way at all. James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So when we hear the word, when we come here Sunday after Sunday, and we hear the word and we don't actually do it, we've lulled ourselves into a false sense of security. Oh, I know what the word says. Oh, I know what he said. Are you doing it? Because unless you are, you have no power against him. Now, the strategy of casting doubt on the word of God has worked very, very well for Satan since the inception of the Garden of Eden. He whispered in Eve's ear constantly, did God really say, can you trust his motives? Why don't you eat this fruit? And he caused so much doubt in, his, in God's word that Eve ate, handed it to Adam, and we know the consequences. We know the consequences. In fact, this strategy was so successful for Satan that he chose to try and use it on Jesus, the Son of God. The same strategy. He tried to use it on Jesus. 
So Jesus goes, he's baptized by John the Baptist. There's a voice that comes out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus is led from that moment, from that baptism, into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. Watch how he uses a time when Jesus is physically weak to come and tempt him. And he goes to Jesus and he says, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? After all, you're hungry. The Bible tells us Jesus was hungry. But Jesus, recognizing that Satan is manipulating the word. Let me tell you something. When you use the word of God out of context, it is tempting the Lord your God. It is tempting him. And I'll prove that to you in the third temptation that Jesus suffered. So he goes and he tempts Jesus to use the word out of context. And Jesus says to him, no, no, no. And he speaks the word right back at him. And he says, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's not enough. That was the rain. Here comes the, the, the flood. Oh, Jesus, why don't you just bow down before me? And I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Now, bear in mind, that's what Jesus had come for. He had come to restore the kingdoms that Adam and Eve had handed over and restore them. But instead, Jesus quotes the word to him again. And he says to him, uh, let me make sure I give you the right one. You shall worship the Lord your God only. And then lastly, Jesus says, he says to Jesus, oh, Jesus, why don't you jump? Because he said he'd give his angels charge over you. And Jesus says to him, depart from me, for you will not tempt the Lord your God. He used the word to try and tempt and manipulate God. Now, here's the thing. I don't need a show of hands to know that attacks have been relentless this year. I know that. Some of them have been devastating. Some of them have been life-changing. Some of us are still reeling from what we've gone through. Some of us received diagnosis and, a, and a, a word from doctors that we never, ever expected to or wanted to hear. But for most of us, for most of us, it's the... Um, Relentless, persistent, dogged, determination, single-minded assault of the little things. Oh, you got a cold, and as soon as you're over it, you got diarrhea. And as soon as you were over that, you got COVID. And as soon as you were over that, you fell and hurt yourself. Anybody identify? As soon as you paid off that bill, your car broke down. As soon as that happened, something, it's like the dripping of a tap, just constant, like the waves that pound at the shore. What is that? That's the storm on three fronts. That's the storm with the rain and the floods and the wind. It's not necessarily life-threatening sickness, as I said. It's just the little thing that comes back again and again and again. 
It's not enough financial stress for your landlord to kick you out. But it's enough to tempt you not to bring your tithe. It's not enough for you to walk away your marriage, walk away from your marriage. But it's enough to allow strife into your home, which is the foundation of every evil work. How long was the storm? I have no idea. But it was long enough for the house to fall. It was long enough for the house to be destroyed. So how long will the devil continue his attack? Long enough, because he's incredibly persistent, until he washes away the foundation. Until you give up the ground that Jesus purchased and that your faith laid hold of. Now, we're talking about storms, but I could name storms instead of um, calling them storms that come against me. Could I call them battles and still be in the same, same page here without having changed anything? Now, every war that's ever been fought has been defined by the battles. The Battle of the Bulge, the Battle of Britain, the Battle of Waterloo, they name them. They name those. When I say to you the Battle of Waterloo, you know that that's where Napoleon was defeated. Because those battles, what they actually do is they define the victory. The battle defines the victory. Battles are necessary to win the war. How many battles were there during the Second World War? Probably more than we'll ever know about right? But they were necessary to win the war. Battles are necessary to unseat wicked powers, thrones, or dictators. They don't just step down and say, oh, you take over. Battles are necessary to unseat them. And battles actually define who are going to enact the laws, who's going to be in control, who is going to dominate the future? That's what a battle does. The winner of those battles defines who's ruling. Who's going to dominate the future? Now, Jesus unseated the unjust ruler of this world. Satan can no longer legally rule in a believer's life. But he's not giving up. And he will wear you away with battle after battle after battle and storm after storm to try and wash away the foundation. Do you remember we were talking about the um, temptations that Jesus faced? Well, he did defeat Satan. Luke 4.13 says, And when the devil had ended every complete cycle of temptation, he temporarily left him. That is, he stood off from him. Don't think he left. Read the next sentence. Until another more opportune or favorable time. Until another time Jesus was weary. Until another time that it was to his advantage. But read verse 14. Then Jesus went back full of and under the power of the Holy Spirit. When you win that battle, you are full of and under the power of the Holy Spirit. And you go back with an anointing. Don't give up the ground. So we know that, Vic, that he's coming back for another round. And we've established that Satan is going to bring storms. We've established that his uh, um, mission in life is to 
steal, kill, and destroy, and that he is determined to wash away your foundation and steal. Now, if we know that, and Jesus told us that we, by doing the word, we can have a foundation to withstand the, form, the, the storms, that means that if we learn how to do that word, we can avoid destruction. I'm going to take just a tiny little side trip here that's not really a side trip, it ties in. But I want you to, as we embark on the battles that we're going to be fighting, because we are, we know he's coming back. He's looking for an opportune time. He's looking for when you're tired. He's looking for when you're sick. He's looking for when you're spiritually depleted. He's looking for when the word level is low. He's looking for all of those opportunities. But be aware whose territory you're standing on. If you are standing in sin, unforgiveness, disobedience, lying, you're on his territory. If you stand on his territory, you have no authority. He has the authority there. And he will laugh at you if you try to resist him. So make sure that where you are standing is on the territory that Jesus purchased and gave you the right to stand in. Do not yield up the, the ground that Jesus won by doing stupid things like holding unforgiveness. As Christians, we have to realize that Satan is with war of, at war with us and we're going to have to fight battles. We need to be prepared so that we can be victorious. And Satan will do, use every tactic possible to take your focus off the word and onto the storm. He will do everything possible. He's a master strategist and his sole objective is to take you out. So how do we protect ourselves in the storm? Number one, make a decision to fight. This first step sounds so simple and so redundant that you may think it's silly for me to even mention it. Make the point of making a decision to fight because nothing changes until you make a decision. You want to lose weight? You're not going to lose it by knowing that you should. You make it by making a decision. I didn't mean to, <laughs> whatever. Let's, let's, let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, so we have to make a decision before anything else steps into place. Determine, you have to be determined not to tolerate the storms, the wind, the rain, or the floods. You have to recognize the storms for what they are and take action right away. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Peter told us to be vigilant. He told us there's an enemy seeking to devour us. He told us that. Now, any army that knows they're going to battle and knows they're going to war does not do so without arming themselves first. So, oh, I'm going to war. 
what, what, what weapons are you taking? Oh, I don't have weapons. I'm just, it's ridiculous. We know we're going to battle. We know we have an adversary who wants to take us out. So make sure you sharpen your weapons. Make sure that the sword of the spirit is sharp. Make sure that you have downloaded into your spirit man enough words so that if somebody squeezes you, the only thing that comes out is the word. Not offense, not sickness, not his words, nothing about the store. Make sure that when somebody touches that nerve, the word comes out of your mouth. Make sure you are equipped and ready to fight. Because the first thing the devil wants more than anything else is the word of God that's in your mouth. Remember, it's useless to him on a, on a page. He wants it in your mouth. Or not use, it's useless to us. No threat to him if it's on a page. It has to be in our mouth. And what he wants to do is fill your mouth with complaining. What he wants to do is fill your mouth with negative things that he is bringing. He wants to fill your mouth with all the stories about what the storm has done. It's a trap. It's a trap to get you to lay down the most important weapon that God gave you. Remember, if he can steal the word, he can steal the victory. So you're going to have to make up your mind ahead of time that he's not going to steal the word. You can't wait for him to catch you off guard. You can't be on the defense. You have to be on the offense. You do. Make your intention to have the word of God in your mouth, in your heart, no matter what storm is happening in your life. Number two, resist the devil. Now, James 4, 7 tells us, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Anybody would like to tell me how they think we resist the devil? With the word of God in our mouth. That's how we resist him. The best words to put into your mouth are the words of God. What did he say about the situation? What did God say about your storm? The first half of that verse, so often we like to quote the part which says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's a condition. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Now, how do we submit ourselves to God? Do I just get down on my knees? Do I bow? Do I grovel? No, we, re we submit to God when we submit to his word. And we submit to his word by doing his word. So, when times are tough and you want to show the enemy that, yes, you do submit to his word and you resist the enemy, you bring your tithe. Now I have submitted unto God and I can resist him with the words of my mouth. In exactly the same way Jesus did. Let's face it. If Jesus could use the word to resist Satan and Satan fled, why should it be any different for us? Right? Quote the word to Satan in exactly the same way as Jesus did. Number three, put the word first place. Remember the thing that Satan is after is, your, is the word. He wants you to focus on the storm. Proverbs 4, 20 verse, from verse 20 through to 23, and this is my life verse. 
My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. God's word is life. Put it first place. Allow it to fill every part of you. If you are looking for direction on how to deal with something, go to the word of God, pick it up and read and read and read. And sooner or later, the Holy Spirit will talk to you. And he'll speak to you directly out of that word. The more attention you give the word, the easier it will be to resist the storms. I, I, this is not in my notes, but I'm going to go here for a moment. It's wonderful to go and spend time with the Lord. It's wonderful to hear those voices or that voice of encouragement as he speaks to you, as he gives you direction. But if we don't have enough of the word in us, it's very easy for the enemy to lead us astray because he touches that emotional core of what we need. Make sure that the word is filled and first place and anything you hear should be confirmed by the word. And remember, the enemy can quote the word to you. Take it out of context and tempt you. Number four, give thanks. Now, this can be hard to do. <laughs> it can be hard to do, especially if the storm is still raging. I was carrying a huge basket of washing down my stairs the other day, and I took a tumble down the last few stairs. I hit my shoulder smack bang into the floor, and I have a stone floor, and I just lay there. Andrew was outside. He couldn't hear me. I was feeling ever so sorry for myself. <laughs> But the very first words out of my mouth were, Lord, thank you for the angels. I could have hit my head. I could have hit my head. Can you find something to give thanks for in the midst of? That's a very small little example. But life comes at us. Now, if I had focused only on that, oh, the devil could have found a little inroad because I'm focusing on the storm instead of the word that's in me. Sometimes I'm in the wrong place. You see? I need these. All right. What, what, what is it about Thanksgiving that's so imperative and so critical? Thanksgiving from a grateful heart tells the Lord we trust him. It speaks of trust. It says, I know God's word won't fail me. Thanksgiving says, I know his word is true. Thanksgiving says, I know he's healed me. I know he's provided for me. I know he's opened doors for me. I know his favor is on me. I know I have what I need before it shows up. That's what Thanksgiving does. You know, there are multiple times in the Old Testament when the Israelites marched into battle with nothing more than praise on their lips. With nothing more. That verse. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. That verse 
made the enemy throw down their weapons. That verse made the enemy attack themselves. That verse put them over because they gave thanks from a grateful heart. You know what Thanksgiving is? Is it's a bright, shining, neon light that says to Satan, I have the victory. I have the victory. You are not going to have it here. You will not. Battles leave us with scars. Battles leave us with scars. And every time you look at your scars, I want you to know that it's because you came out victorious. You have scars because you fought the fight. You have scars because you survived. You have scars because you lived to fight another day. That's what scars are. The biggest and fiercest lions in the African plains are covered with scratches and wounds and scars. And it makes them king of the jungle. Nobody messes with the alpha lion. And the way they know that is they look at the scars. They look at the scars. Let's learn to respond to the storms of life with the word. Let's learn to respond to Satan before he brings the storms. When it starts raining, make sure that you fill yourself with the word and you stop putting it out of your mouth so that the floods and the wind don't come, so that he turns away. We cannot afford to be passive. We cannot afford to be lazy and think that things will change. They will not. Peter told us to be sober and vigilant because we have an enemy who roams about seeking whom he may devour. When you put the word on your mouth, when you fill yourself with praise, you say to the Lord, you're not going to devour me, Satan. You say to, to Satan, you're not going to devour me. Can we go into 2024 with renewed courage today? Put off the cloak of weariness. Put off the eyes of the storms and the circumstances. Take them off. If that's how you're viewing your life, take them off and put on the glasses that allow you to look through the eyes of faith that allow you to look through the eyes of victory and see that Jesus is faithful to his word, that his heart for us is success. His heart for us is to be an overcomer. Can we just um, put the lights down just ever so little? If you're here this morning... And it's your first time visiting. I encourage you to come back and hear Pastor Cindy. Do come back. I'm just the fill-in today. But if this is the first time that you are here, it's the first time you've heard that Satan is responsible for the attacks. You always thought that God was testing you and trying you. If today you want to give your, your heart, your life, completely to Jesus, every eye closed, would you raise your hand? 
Would you give God the opportunity to reach out to you this morning? To help you build your house on the rock so that the storms of life cannot take you out. I see that hand. I see that hand. Would everybody pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I know I've messed up. I know I don't deserve what you paid the price for me to have. I repent today of walking far from you. I believe that you died in my place, that you took my sin, that you took the punishment that was supposed to be mine. Thank you. I receive you today as Lord of my life, as the king to determine who rules and reigns in my life. In Jesus' name. Could we have the ministry team come up front here? If anybody needs prayer this morning, if you need us to stand with you for anything at all, we have amazing ministers here who are more than able and equipped to pray with you. I'm going to pray for you and then dismiss you. And if you need anything at all, please come up to the ministers up at the front. Let's close our eyes. Father, we thank you that as we approach 2024, We do so equipped to be overcomers. We do so, Lord, having heard your word, knowing what we need to do to make sure that the storms coming don't wash away our foundations. We determine that we will build our house on the rock, that we will do what it is you've told us to do. Lord, we determine and make a a, a resolution The one resolution we will go into with 2024 that we know can change all things is to put your word first place and to commit to doing everything we hear. Lord, I ask for you to minister life, peace, health, abundance to every member of the Promise family as they go into 2024. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, please come on up.